Father, tonight we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you have the plan and you know what to do. I thank you, God, that, that if we will submit to you, you will direct our path. You'll show us what to do. We are covenant people, chosen people. Lord, your word talks about how that we have been uh, sanctified by the blood of Jesus, that we have been separated, that you, you separate us to yourself, and that, Lord, you're pleased with your people, those who search you and look for you. Lord, I thank you that you're not looking for perfect performances. You're looking for complete hearts. And we believe tonight that as we turn to your word, we want our heart to be in tune with what you have to say to us. Lord, we give you thanks for it tonight. I believe for revelation to come. Lord, to me as I speak, to, to, to those in this room as, as we hear, Lord, that we hear what you would have us to hear tonight. Lord, I give you thanks for it. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to begin with this passage here. This is, this is Jesus talking. This is in Matthew chapter 13, verse 15. Uh, it's out of the Amplified Bible. And it says, Jesus is talking. He says, For this nation's heart has grown gross, fat, and dull. He might be talking to our nation. Yes. He says, their, their heart has grown gross. Their ears heavy and difficult of hearing. And their eyes, they have closed tightly, lest they see and perceive with their eyes, and hear and comprehend the sense with their ears, and grasp and understand with their heart, and I turn, and I should heal them. I want you to notice that phrase. He said, their eyes, they have tightly closed. Their eyes, they have tightly closed. John 3, Jesus is speaking in verse 19. This is after he talks about God loves the world. And then he talked about that, that, that uh, you know, if, you, if you believe, you can be saved. If you don't, then you can be condemned. In verse 19, he says, And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I told him last night, I've thought, I've thought that the reason that people have a problem is because they don't know the truth. And if we could just tell them the truth, they'd be okay. But do you understand not everybody wants to hear the truth? They, in fact, they hate the truth. They hate the truth. And it's not so much about, about getting them the truth because they don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. Some people hate the light. I mean, it's like cockroaches when you turn the light on and they scatter. They hate the light. They don't, want, they, do, they don't want to hear anything about the truth. And that's why their voice is so loud in our culture because they don't want to hear the truth. They want to drown it out. They hate the truth. They don't want to hear it. Not everybody likes it. Sadly, a lot of that attitude, the closing of the eye, the difficulty of, of hearing, has seeped into the church. Because the church has tried to conform to the world, has tried to allow the spirit of the world to come into it so they can draw more people or whatever. In many services today, it's difficult to hear the Word of God taught. In many churches today, there are snippets of the Word. There are thimbles full of the Word, and they're supposed to last people for a whole week. 
and they give you just a little bit of the word here, a little bit of the word there, and, and, and it's sad. Preachers are trying to be what they call relevant. They're trying to preach sermons that are relevant. And so they leave the Bible out because it's not very relevant, they think. Can I just say, the Bible is relevant to every culture, relevant to every age. And so they think that it's not relevant. And they think, well, we can't, for sure, we can't read the King James. It's not relevant. Well, the King James isn't that hard to understand. I mean, thee means you, thou means you, thy means yours. I mean, it's, it's not that difficult. But, but, is, but the relevancy comes by the Spirit as He gives revelation from the Word. But, the, but they, they, they preach these, these culturally pleasing sermons that are totally non-offensive to anyone. And in doing that, they're offending the Spirit of God. And He's leaving and He's not there. I went to a service one time and they started taking up the offering and they started praising the preacher. This is many years ago. And, and they were giving a hand clap. How many will give this... <laughs> It was like an auction. How many give this much money for brother so-and-so? And they'd raise their hand. How many give this much for brother so-and-so? And they'd raise their hand. How many give every bit, everything in your wallet to brother so-and-so? And they're raising their hand, hold their wallets up. And this, my friend that I was with, he looked over at me and he said, you know, I envy the Holy Spirit. And I said, really? And he said, yeah, he didn't come to this. <laughs> and just because we think that it's in church and that it should be from God, it's not necessarily from God. And, and, and sermons that are void of the Word aren't from God. It's a waste of time if you go to hear the Word of God. Christians are not taught that we're in a fight against the stream of the world that is marching away from the kingdom of God. And if we're marching in step with them, we're in trouble. Here's what Amos says in Amos chapter 8, verse 11. It says, Behold, this is also the Amplified. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will send a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but a famine for hearing the words of the Lord. And the people shall wander from sea to sea, from the north to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, inquiring for it and requiring it as one requires food, but they shall not find it. Isn't that an interesting couple of verses? A famine of the Word of God. A famine. What would cause the famine? Well, the famine is caused when the people don't care for the Word. Amos was prophesying to people who didn't want to hear the truth. People who were raised around the truth but no longer wanted to hear it. The truth was available but they didn't want to hear it. People would sometimes would rather hear fables. They'd rather hear stories rather than the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. We've come to this place where we want to be entertained. Jeremiah faced that. The, the people came to hear him because they were entertained by him as if he was a dancer or a singer or an actor. And they would just come and listen to him because he was, they thought he was entertaining. But they did not hear the truth. They didn't want to hear the truth. When people, when people are satisfied with just little, as I said, snippets of the word, they think they've done their duty and they've had just enough. It's time for us to open our eyes, to make a choice to open our eyes and open our ears so we can hear and be healed. That's what our nation needs. Jesus said in Matthew eleven fifteen, and then in seven other places, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. He's not talking about physical ears. He's talking about spiritual ears. We have to choose to hear. 
what the Lord is saying. We have to choose to hear it. We need to open our eyes, open our ears in the Spirit, and we must make a choice to hear and see what God is doing. Otherwise, there's a famine of the Word of God. And that's not a famine you want to be with. We need to open our eyes and open our ears, but we also need to open our mouths if we're going to fight the fight of faith. We've talked about this. Last time we said, whoever controls the conversation wins. We talked about the war for our words. Culture is changing the definitions, changing the words, because they know if they can win the war of the conversation, they can take anything they want to take. The devil has been doing that for a long time. I mean, then the time before that, we talked about Jesus hating the doctrine, doctrine of the Nicolaitans, and he's fighting against the churches that allow that compromise into the church. And he is absolutely furious about it. He said he will come and fight with the sword of his mouth against the churches that are allowing that doctrine in their services. And you can go back and get that recording. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it was, it was, it'd be worth you hearing. Then we, 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 then we talked about in the beginning of this series about how that Jesus fights with the sword of his mouth. He uses his words. He fights. He stood before Pilate with a confident uh, a confession and that he, he, he stood before the devil with a confident confession. There's a war going on. We must learn to fight in the spirit or be taken captive by the woke cancel culture of our day. And they want to take away your words. They want to take away the church. They want to take away Christianity. They want to take away the Bible. You know, I read a statistic, I can't remember where I read it, that 29% of all progressive Democrats believe that if you haven't been vaccinated against COVID, that you need to be put in a concentration camp. Do you know how close that is to Nazi Germany? How easy would it be to convince those people that if you believe the Bible, you need to be put in a concentration camp. Understand, they're coming after the Word of God. They're coming after freedom to speak and believe the Word of God. I mean, we've got to, we've got to fight this thing in the Spirit. It's not the first time in history that, that, that we've seen this happen, where, where uh, the wicked culture attempts to cancel the speech of the righteousness of the Word. They've tried before. Remember John Lennon, that great philosopher? You know, I'm talking about the Beatles. He's not a great philosopher. He sang a song one time. It was called Imagine. And this is what it it says. It's got a great tune. It's a wicked song. But it speaks of a culture that has only progressed since he wrote these words. Here's what it says. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for. And no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say that I'm a dreamer. I'm not the only one. It's a good sound. It's really cool sounding. The message is straight from hell. What he says in this, this is my paraphrase because this is what it basically says. He says, imagine a world where there is no love for God and no love for country. Because the love for God, the love for country is the cause of war. And if people just didn't love God and didn't love their country, there would be peace in the world. 
It can never happen. Beginning with Nimrod in the Bible, it can never happen. Where there's no love for God and no love for country, there's not going to be any peace. There is no peace apart from Jesus Christ. No peace. The heaven he's talking about is only available in Jesus. I mean, we've been being conditioned for a long time. A long time. I mean, it's the kind of thing we've been listening to. And so this enemy of socialism, which becomes communism, which is the enemy of the Word of God, the enemy of the people of God, it's been lulling people to sleep and blinding their minds for decades now because they've not been awakened. It's time for us as Christians to open our mouths and speak up. Speak up in the heavenlies. Speak up in conversations. It's time for us to open our mouths. The war is in the spirit realm, but we've got to speak there and here both. We've got to speak up or we'll be forever told to shut up. And we can't do that. I, was, I, I mentioned this to Tammy the other day. I had written two little phrases down on a, on, a, on, a sh- on a sheet of paper, on a little notepad at my desk the other day. <clears throat> I wrote more than these, those two. But, but then I, got, I started reading a book that I had gotten. And... and both two of those phrases were in this book. They're the names of chapters in the book. And I thought that was very interesting. I felt like maybe I'm doing the right, maybe I'll say the right thing. One of the things that the, I wrote down, at weddings, many preachers say something like this. If you're opposed to this wedding, speak now or forever hold your peace. Now, I never said that at a wedding because I didn't want anybody to speak now. I mean, you know, people were ready to get to the reception, and I'm just, let's just, we're doing this, and if you wanted to talk, you should have talked long before this time right now. Anyway, but I never said that, but they say that in some weddings. Speak now or forever hold your peace. The church of Jesus Christ is going to have to speak now. We're going to have to speak up now in the spirit and in the culture. We're going to have to speak now. We've got, if we don't begin to speak now, I mean, the time is running out. On our nation, our society, we must not, we must not allow them to forbid us to speak. Speak now or forever hold our peace. There's a song by Simon and Garfunkel. You can tell that I listen to old music sometimes. But in, in one of their songs called The Sound of Silence, it says, Fools, you do not know, silence like a cancer grows. Silence like a cancer grows. That's a true statement. Let me read you a, a, a sentence from, a couple of sentences from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You remember who he is? He was the great preacher in, in, in Germany at, when the Nazis were, were taking over. And, and, and Germany was in a similar place that the United States is today, right before the Nazis took over. He said this, Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Silence, unfortunately, is taken as agreement by those who are speaking. And that's why we must speak now. That's why we must not let this cancer of silence continue. For too long, the church and Christians have failed to speak up. We want to be popular with the world rather than live a life that is different than the world. I'm not talking about being weird here. 
not talking about having to wear your hair a certain way or wear certain clothes. I'm talking about living a life before God, before society that is for God. I mean, remember we said last time when Jesus said, when he said, if you deny me before men, that we said the word deny means to not speak. The church has been denying Jesus by not speaking. We've been agreeing with the world by not speaking. We must speak up. We must speak up in the spirit. Most Christians, unfortunately, are ignorant about how to fight a fight of faith in the spirit. In fact, they don't even know there's one to fight. And if they knew it, they wouldn't want to fight anyway. They've been duped by the modern form of the Christian religion. You understand there's a difference between Christianity and the Christian religion, right? Those are two different things. But they've been duped by this Christian religion that teaches us it's all about me. Me getting my miracle. Me getting my ministry. Me getting my, my job or whatever. It's not about that. It's about Him. And all that I get is about Him. He wants me to have a lot of things, but it's about Him. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 14 says this, And judgment is turned away backward. And, in, and justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. They're coming to hunt after people who depart from evil because they're calling evil good and good evil in, in, in the place we live. It says, it says, it makes himself a prey, and the Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no judgment. Listen to this verse. You've heard this one before. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation to him and his righteousness it sustained him. God saw it and he wondered why there was no one speaking up in the heavenlies. No one. He didn't hear the voice of the intercessor, praying against the injustice, praying for the justice, praying the Word of God, standing for what God wanted. Jesus brought salvation. He brought righteousness. He's already given it to us, but He intends for us to lay hold on it and fight to keep it. That's what He intends. This is pretty, pretty serious stuff, isn't it? We must lift up our voices with the Word of God. We must. Psalm 103, verse 20 says this, Bless the Lord, ye His angels, that excel in strength, that do His commandments. Now listen to this. Hearkening unto the voice of His Word. Where do the angels get the voice of His Word? When it comes out of your mouth. The angels are waiting to operate on your behalf when they hear the word. For you to say, angel, I command you to do this. You're wasting your breath. When you say, angel, here's what the Bible says. They go to work for the word. There are all these angels standing outside the church today, hold up signs like they do at the underpass. You know, those guys say, well, work for food. The angels have them that says, we'll work for word. If we will speak the word, they will hearken to the voice of his word. 
When we're complaining to God about the problems, we're not doing the right thing. We need to be speaking the answer, which is the Word of God, so the angels can go to work. We need angelic intervention in this nation today like she's never needed it before. And the church needs to stand up and speak the Word of God and give these angels a job to do. What does the Bible say? We've got to find that out. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 12. Then said the Lord unto me, Thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. What word? Where they, where, what's he talking about? He just told Jeremiah, he just cleaned his mouth out with a coal. And he said, I want you to say my words. And God is saying to Jeremiah, if you will say my word, I will hasten my word to perform it. If you and I will do the very same thing, if we will replace all the fear and the doubt and the dread from our mouths and begin to speak the Word of God, instead of complaining about the Democrats, what if we speak the Word of God in the circumstance? What if the whole church did it? What if this room did it? That's where we can begin. Jeremiah 23, 29. This is out of the Amplified Bible. The Lord says, Is not my word like a fire? that consumes all that cannot endure the test, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks in pieces the rock of most stubborn resistance. When you and I are speaking the word, it's a hammer that will break the rock. It doesn't matter how big or how stubborn it is, the word of God coming out of our mouths will do the job. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty three, 23, Truly I tell you, Whoever says to this mountain, talking about words here, be lifted up and thrown in the sea and does not doubt at all in his heart, but believes that what he says will take place, it will be done for him. He's talking, Jesus is talking about using words. Using words. We said last week that God created us like him, another speaking spirit. Our words are so powerful. The word that we speak, we, we sometimes have this idea that that. We, we don't have any hope or we can't do anything about it. Yes, we can if we learn to use the voice of His Word. Yeah, but we're old. The, the Ancient of Days is old. But His Word is true forever. We have to speak His Word. And now we come to here. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. We've been talking about this. This is the fourth week, fourth time we've talked about it. There is a good fight. But it's a fight of faith. We've, we found out that faith is not about me getting God to do what I want Him to do. It's about me coming so that God can get through me what He wants to do what He wants to perform in my life, in the life around me. It's not about me being some spoiled kid. I don't have faith in faith. Our faith is in God and in what He has said. It's a good fight, but we must understand there's a fight to fight. Well, I don't want to fight. Too bad. There's a fight to fight. Some people think, well, we don't have to fight because Jesus has already done everything. We can just sit down on the TV in front of the TV and just watch reruns of Leave It to Beaver. No, no, there's a fight to fight. We have to understand that, that, that anything, anything that we're going to have, we have to fight the fight of faith.
He's done everything. But what He's provided by grace must be possessed by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. The grace came to save you. But you, 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 you took hold of it. You possessed it when you believed it. Everybody has the access to it. But you must possess it by your faith. Perfect example is the children of Israel. When God delivered them out of Egypt, they came to the Red Sea, they crossed the Red Sea. He told them on the other side and on this side, He said, go up and possess the land. I have given you the land. Past tense, I have given you the land. Their job is to possess the land that God has already given to them. They get out there, and Moses says, okay, we're going, to send out, we're going to send out 12 guys, and we're going to let them spy out the land. And they went, and you know the story. They came back with the, with the, 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 the big grapes on the two poles, and, and the guys that's so big takes two guys to carry them back, and they brought the fruit of the land, and, and, they, and they said, oh, man, it is exactly what God said it was. Ooh, man, it's so, but, but, wait, wait, before you get too excited. There are giants in the land. I mean, it's got mountains and rivers, and, but, but, but did I mention there are giants in the land? They have walled cities, and there are giants in the land. We don't want to fight. I thought God said He gave it to us. We don't want to fight. They spent 40 years in the wilderness because their confession was, they said, we'll die in the wilderness and God gave them exactly what they said except for Joshua and Caleb who said we are well able to take the land and so finally after 40 years God said okay I've given you the land and they said okay and they went into the land to possess it, but what they had to do to possess the land was they had to fight. The victories were supernatural. God intervened in the battles, but they had to fight. They had to fight. In order to possess it, they had to fight. The same is true today. We've been promised many things. The Word promises us many things, but we're going to have to fight to possess them. Doesn't matter. I don't want to fight. Doesn't matter. If we're going to possess them, we have to fight. It's been paid for by the blood of Jesus. But if we're going to take delivery of what it is, we're going to have to walk in and we're going to see that big hairy devil sitting on top of it and he's going to say, you can't have it. It's too big for you and we're going to have to fight the fight of faith. If the Bible says we've got to fight, we're going to fight. We have to fight. If we don't want to fight, we'll have to be defeated. It's funny to me, Christians, they like to fight their spouses. They like to fight their, 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 their in-laws. They like to fight the people at work. They like to fight the union. But they don't want to fight the devil. We've got to fight the right enemy. We've got to figure out who the enemy is and fight him. We've got to fight him. The Bible says here that we fight this fight of faith so that we can lay hold of eternal life. The phrase lay hold means to seize, to grab, to take hold of someone, to arrest them. 
I mean, we've got to grab hold of these things that pertain to eternal life. Eternal life doesn't mean to live forever. It literally means the life quality of God, and it should be manifested in our lives. We've got to lay hold of it by a fight of faith, and there will be a resistance to it. Wouldn't it be cool if we could just say, okay, devil, King's X, I believe in God. And he's going to say, prove it every time. There is no King's X. I know we might not want to fight, but in this world, there is the curse. There are devils. And there are just crazy people. And we've got not to fight the people, we've got to fight the spirits behind the crazy people. Not everybody wants to help you get where God wants you to be. In this room, we all do. I mean, we all want to help you get there. But this room isn't the whole world, is it? There are people out there. I mean, when you start standing for God and speaking for God, you're going to find that not everybody likes that. I remember one time I did a TV commercial. We had our church in Dumas. And uh, it was a good commercial. Everybody, in the, everybody that saw me in the town quoted it back to me. Well, one preacher in town didn't like my commercial. Because in it, I made the statement <laughs> that says, if they come at you, if religious people come at you with a Bible in one hand and a rock in the other, they're not your friend. Because I was talking about the, the woman getting stoned, <laughs> that was going to get stoned. Well, this preacher, man, he took offense at it, and he put an article in the paper. And then, then we got hate grams sometimes. We had a prayer, we had a prayer, a, a, we had a prayer phone that they could call, and we'd pray for them. They had to leave a message. This one guy, his prayer request was that we would all die. And that uh, we'd get that God would kill us because He didn't agree with what we were saying. But you know what? God didn't call Him to do what we we're doing. It didn't matter to me. Not everybody likes the truth. Not everybody likes what we have to say. Not everybody would appreciate it. Not everybody likes it. I mean, one guy came to me one night and he said, or after church one Sunday, he said, he said, he said, I don't like what you said. And I said, what verse did you not like? Well, it's not the verses. And I said. Well, then what do you not like? And then he said something else. And I'll read you this verse in Smith that he didn't like. And I said, well, what is it? What verse do you not like? What verse made you mad? I just don't believe that. And I said, okay, go start your own church. We have a work to do. We have something to do. We can't be detracted by the people who don't want the truth. We've got to speak the truth. Because what happens when people do receive the truth? What is happens in their life? The truth makes them free. And that's what the devil doesn't want. He wants them to be held in bondage. That's why. That's why this, the world is opposed to the word. We've got to fight. We must lay hold. We must fight like Jesus. Fight with the words of our mouth. Now I'm going to read you a couple of verses here. I hope you don't make you mad. They might, but they're in 1 Timothy chapter 6 also. Verse 17. I'm getting to another verse that's later down here, but it says this. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. You ever read that verse before? If you haven't, you need to take it personally. He's talking to you. You might think, well, I, I, I'm not rich. Whoa, whoa. We're going to find out in just a minute. You might be. You might, you might need to figure out what the Bible says. <laughs> Many have misused those verses, just like they've misused faith. And they made it be all about me 
and me getting my millions so that I can so that I can uh, ha- do what I want to do. That's not what that's not what the riches are for. And we'll read that in just a moment. We can't put ourselves ahead of God. We we've got to serve Him. In case rich in case rich bothers you, let me read you another verse. This is Second Corinthians chapter eight verse nine. It says, "For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich." Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. When did Jesus become poor? At the cross. He was naked. He had nothing. He absolutely was penniless at the cross. It says that he he became poor, that you might be rich. He became sin that I might be righteous. He became sick that I might be healed. And that's what that verse is talking about. Is that, that verse is talking about money right there. He did that. We, we need to lay hold of that. What? Well, that's wrong, isn't it? Well, wait a minute. What if the Lord said, Randy, I need you to go with Elizabeth to Africa and work with her there? And what if I said, well, I don't have any money? Would I be right or wrong? I'd be wrong because the Scripture says He made me rich. Money doesn't rule my life. It never will because it, it can't. Money is neutral. It will do whatever we tell it to do. But I need to understand that if God told me to go, I have the wealth to go. I don't have to beg for it either. I have to believe Him for it because it's a fight of faith. It's not so I can get a new Mercedes. It's not so I can get you to give me a new Mercedes either. It's so that I can do what God told me to do. The scripture says that that we're to lay hold of that. Jesus became poor that we might be rich. The scripture says that that, that the Holy Spirit said in in 3 John, He says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. Wow, that means if I will think right in my soul, then the Lord will make sure that I have right in the physical realm so I can do what He wants me to do. That's 3 John verse 2 or 3 or 4. We lay hold of it for the sake of the work of God. Right? A lot of people get mad over rich. And the guy that got mad at me got mad at me over this verse that says that Jesus became poor that we might be made rich. That made him mad. And I said, why does that make you mad? It's a verse in the Bible. I read out of the Bible. A lot of the, lot of the Bible talks about rich. But here's the why. The next verse says, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. That's why God wants you rich, so you can reach the world. Verse 19 says, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay Hold on eternal life. God wants you rich. He, want, he wants you rich so you can help people. Now, what's the definition of rich? Well, I don't know. But for a Christian to say, well, all I want is enough for us to make it and get by. That's not what God wants. He wants us to reach the world. He wants us to have influence. I'm going to pass that one up. That came to my mind. He wants us, he wants us to be able to do things that, are, that will help people. So what we have to do is we must lay hold, do good, lay hold, and not let go.
Don't let go of it. We lay hold of it so that we won't let go. Okay, let me go to this passage. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 7. Peter says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject to one another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Now, last time we talked about why Christians lose. We saw how Peter lost a fight. Remember that? How that he was out there and he denied the Lord three times. Remember he said, Jesus, Jesus said, you'll leave me. He said, I will not leave you. They may all leave you, but I will not leave you. He was so arrogant about it. And Jesus said, no, no, the devil is going to try to sift you like wheat. And Peter said, and he said, you will deny me. And Peter said, you are wrong to Jesus. You're wrong. I've heard Christians say that about the word. That's just wrong. Now, now think about it. These words that I just read to you out of 1 Peter. This is the same guy that denied the Lord three times. Peter said these words. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he denied the Lord. When do you think Peter learned anything about humility? Right there. I mean, he's thinking about the time he denied the Lord. Peter could have could have used some humility when Jesus said, you're going to be sifted. Instead of, "Uh uh-uh, I am with you. It doesn't matter. I am with you. The next verse says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. This is talking about a spiritual war, a spiritual fight right here. Peter was so arrogant and so proud, he didn't know that he was going to need the grace of God in just a few hours. He didn't know. He was so arrogant. I mean, and then the devil came and devoured him. The word devoured in a previous Bible study, we, we, we found out that word literally means to slurp up the juices that are left over. That is, after the lion eats all the meat and chews up the bones. Now he's slurping up the juices. The devil devoured him. Peter knew something about this particular subject. He knew it. Fortunately, he put the words may devour in this passage. He at least was wise enough to know that he couldn't devour everybody. The enemy, like a lion, ate Peter up, separated him from his faith, Jesus looked out and saw Peter and saw that he lost a fight, saw that he lost a battle. And Peter's over there crying like a baby because he lost the fight. Good news is there's another side of this story, right? Because that's not the last time we ever heard about Peter. He got spanked. He got beat up. He lost a battle, but he did not lose the war. And we may lose battles, but we don't have to lose the war. I mean, you may have lost a fight. Understand, it's not God's fault you lost the fight. But Peter had a comeback. Have you ever read the Bible? He had a big comeback. I mean, after Jesus was raised from the dead, remember he and Peter were walking on the beach? And he says, he says to him, he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, I love you. They use two different Greek words for love. That's a whole other sermon. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Again, use a different word for love. 
Jesus the third time says, Peter, do you love me? Now he's using Peter's word for love, the same one. He says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, you know. You know. Humility has set in. He said, he's basically saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, well, Lord, I think I do. But you, you know. If I don't, tell me what I need to do. That's what he should have done when Jesus said, the devil's going to sift you like wheat. He should have said, Lord, show me. Show me what, what do I need to do. It didn't have to turn out that way. But Jesus came. And I mean the man had a comeback. Jesus said, I, he said, I, I got something for you to do. The day of Pentecost, the man went out, got baptized in the Holy Ghost, staggered out into the crowd of people because the city was full of people there for the Pentecost. And he staggers out there. And I mean, people, they heard the, the loud noise. I mean, all things, kinds of things. They came to see the fire and they come over there and Peter staggers out there and he preaches a three-minute sermon. And 3,000 people were born again. He had a comeback. I mean, I know preachers who preached 3,000 sermons and hadn't had three people come to the Lord. Three minutes, 3,000 people. He had a comeback. I mean, he came back in a major way. The next verse says, and this is what I want to get to, whom, talking about this devourer, whom resist, how? Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Resist steadfast. Steadfast means stay with it. You keep resisting. You keep standing. You do not let go. You hold on. I mean, this is the fight right here. When you're fighting, this is the fight. The devil is the enemy. He's the problem. God's not your problem. And he is going to do everything he can to get you to let go of what God said to you. Let go of what God said about our nation. Because you're looking at the circumstances and listening to Fox News all the time. Let go of, 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 of what you believe in your heart, what he's, what he's called you to do. You cannot let go. You've got to believe it and not let go. Resist steadfastly. Stay with it. We can't be arrogant or prideful about where our faith is. We can't get this all puffed up. You know, how would it be if, 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 a, if a heavyweight boxer was getting ready to fight for the championship of the world and he thought, I got this. I got it. I got this one. And he goes and they say, you got, you got to train. No, no. I'm just going to lay here on the couch. I'm going to eat me these three pizzas. And I'm going to eat this coconut pie. And I got this. Before you know it, he gains 20 pounds. And he gets clobbered in the ring because he did not prepare. He didn't understand what was going to go, what was getting ready to happen. Peter said, I got this. Jesus said, you're going to be sifted. And he said, no, no, I got this, Jesus. Nothing's going to make me deny you. I got this. Rather than, rather than being, 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 being a man of humility. I mean, and I think he really thought it because when they drew out swords, he drew out his sword and he cut off that guy's ear. The guy's name was Malchus and he cuts his ear off. I do believe Peter was trying to cut his head off. I don't think he knew how to use the sword very well. Because I think if he, had, if he had really known what he was doing, he'd killed the guy. I mean, he's a fisherman. He's not a, a fighter like that. But he, he missed him. He, he, he didn't. And then Jesus said, put your sword up. He wasn't ready for it. He wasn't ready at all. He couldn't believe it when the Lord, they took the Lord and, and they began to slap him. 
began to pull his hair, began to spit on him. He couldn't believe it. And now the enemy has him right where he wants him to be. The reason he could deny the Lord is he's listening to things. In his mind, the thoughts are coming. You know that this is how the devil does it. He be, the, the, the devil begins to say stuff like, see there, he's just a man. He is just a man. You have followed him and wasted your life for three and a half years. He's just a man. He couldn't stop him. He couldn't stop them if he tried. He is just a man. He cannot be the Christ. What's it time to do now? It's time to fight right now. Now it's time to stop every one of those thoughts. Now it's time to use the sword of your mouth, not the sword that's in your, in, in, in your little holster. Now it's time to say, I know whom I believed, and he is able. I know that he is the Lamb of God. I don't understand this. doesn't mean it's wrong. I just don't understand it yet. Peter was shaken. Let me ask you a question. How do you know how strong your faith is? How do you know that? Here's how you know. When it's challenged, that's how you know. How do you know if a $100 bill is real? You know it's real when you try to spend it. You're standing there at the grocery store or wherever you are, and you give them the $100 bill. What do they do? They challenge it. They pick it up and they put it in the light like they know what they're living. Then they get the little brown pencil and they draw on it. What are they doing? They're challenging your $100 bill. Now, I personally shop with a lot of cash when I shop because I don't care about anybody else knowing what I'm buying, not that I have anything to hide, but I just think if I use the card, everybody in the world knows what I'm buying. So I give them the $100 bill. And sometimes they're looking at that. Actually, every time they look at it and I'm thinking, man, I hope that one's real. I hope, I've never had a fake one. I don't know why I would think. I hope it's real. But they challenge it every time. Here's how you know it's real. When you use it. When you believe God for something, when you use it, you're getting ready to find out if it's real because the devil has got the little brown pencil. And you're going to find out if it's real or if it's fake. Real or counterfeit. I mean, you know that that's, it's going to be challenged. I mean, faith has no shelf life. You use it. That's why we're talking about these things so you begin to fight the fight now. You begin to confess the word now. You begin to say it now. Begin to say it to a headache now. Begin to say it to, to, the, to, the, to, the, to the people who are, who are holding the, the sign uh, out in, in, in the public square condemning the church. You begin to use your faith now, right now. I mean, this city, there are a lot of people like us. I'm going to tell you right now. I mean, we passed that that. That, that we're an abortion-free city. I mean, I'm telling you, God was on our side because the enemy underestimated us. And now it's too late for them. But they're trying again. They'll try some more. They'll continue to try. That doesn't mean it's time to lay down our faith. Listen, it's easy to believe you have lots of faith when you're in church and they got organ music playing. That's easy to believe. Ooh, yeah, I'm with you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm fighting the fight, Jesus. The fight doesn't take place there. That's where you ought to be being trained to fight the fight. When the enemy comes and he tells you that everything God promised you will never come to pass, it's time to fight. 
You can't, you can't think of yourself more highly than you ought. We need to fight. The scripture says, Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Always causes us to triumph in Christ. We need to know there's a fight to fight, but we win the fight. Sometimes the devil will catch you when you don't expect it, and he'll flat knock you down. When he does, it's time for you to get back up, shake a little bit, and say, is that the best you got? Because my God is bigger than you, and he's inside of me, and you're getting ready to take it from him. You've you got to fight it. You've got to keep fighting it. You've got to stay humble so you can receive the grace, but you cannot let go. Ooh, can you take just a few more minutes? 2 Corinthians 2.11. The verse says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We need to listen to the Lord. We need to pray in the Spirit. We need to be in the Word. And if we do, we'll understand what the enemy's about to do. One time, I've told you this before, one time we were praying for something that had happened that was terrible, and I was at the church, and I began to pray in the Spirit about it, and the Holy Spirit said, stop. And I said, what? And he said, you've already prayed through that. You've been in here with me every day this week praying. You've already prayed through it. We're going to something new today. Why? Because I was aware of the device. The Lord spoke to me. Man, when, you've, when, when, when you fight somebody, if you're a, a professional boxer, you practice and you train. You know when they do this, they're going to do something. And you begin to practice that. When I was in football in high school, we played against Plainview one, one Friday night. And, and uh, we practiced because they had this big old fullback. And every, every, in our practice, we said, okay, when, when you're there, I played defensive end. And when you, I said, when you're there, with that, if that offensive tackle blocks down, you close down because that fullback is coming to take you out. And when they did it, I mean, it was the second play of the game. And that guy came, and his job was to take me out. I filled the hole. That was the last play I played in the game, but they didn't make any yards because I closed down, and I stopped it because I knew it was, I was aware. I, I knew what his device was going to be because that's what they ran over and over. Man, when the devil comes, you need to be saying, no, 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 I've been reading my Bible. Mm-mm. I've been going to Bible study. I know what you're up to now. I know what's getting ready to happen. And you need to be prepared. We know his devices. Now listen to this. I love this. For though we walk in, this is 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 5, 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Understand me, it is not a flesh fight. That you cannot do anything in the flesh in this fight. I'm mad at the devil. It doesn't matter if you're mad or not. That's flesh. It's a spirit fight. It's a fight of faith. For the weapons of our warfare, they're real. They're very real. Are not carnal. They're not fleshy. They're not natural. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, a lot of people put a period there and start making up what strongholds are. Remember, for it to be scriptural, we need scripture. The next verse tells us what the strongholds are. There's not even a period at the end of that verse. Pulling down of strongholds. 
casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What would be a high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God? A lie. It's a lie. It exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It comes from a realm, a spiritual realm that is high, and it exalts itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into every captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We need to know how the devil throws punches, how he fires the darts, and then we need to put on some armor, and we're going to talk about this later on, so that we will be able to fight this fight of faith. I mean, you've got to have your armor, and I figured out a long time ago, you don't need armor if you go into a picnic. You don't need armor if you're going to watch reruns of the Brady Bunch. You don't need armor if you're doing nothing. You need armor if you're going to fight a fight. You really don't need armor if you're going to church, because that's really not where the fight is. We need armor because we're going to fight. Why do we need a belt of truth? Why do we need a helmet? Why do we need a breastplate? Why do we need a shield? I'm going to tell you why. Because somebody's getting ready to start shooting at you, and they already have been doing it. And the way they do it is the way that verse says, imaginations, lies, thoughts. There's the fight. There'll be times you need to know it's coming. It's not a flesh fight, not a natural fight. We cast down. We repel imaginations and thoughts. This is how the devil fights. This is what he does. He doesn't want you to even have a clue where the thoughts are coming from. He wants you to think you thought the thought. Because if you think it's you, you're not going to pick up a shield. You're, you're not going to have put on the helmet. If you think it's you, you're thinking you're fighting for yourself. He wants you to think it's you. In fact, he wants you to not even believe he's real. He, 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 he wants you to, to keep your shield down. He wants you to be clueless as to where the feeling comes from. The imagination. Because if you figure it out, you can resist it. You can fight against it. You've got to understand it. You lose the fight of faith. Here's how you lose it. By losing your faith. By letting go of the word. The moment you do that, the devil has you right where he wants you. How did you get your faith? By hearing the anointed word or the word from the anointed one. That's how it came to you. How would you lose it then, do you think? By hearing the wrong thing and Hearing the lie and the deception, listening to it, letting it influence your mind, listening to the lie. Like Adam and Eve did, they listened to the lie. They should have cut the devil off the snake right then, but they let him give his speech. They listened to it. They entertained it, and they lost their grip on what God has said. They gave it up. They just kept listening. They lost their faith. They lost their trust. They lost a fight of faith because they overestimated their ability of being able to resist the devil's reasoning. 
let's just listen to him. I mean, let's keep an open mind about this. If you know what the Word says, you don't have to listen anymore. You don't have to entertain it anymore. Do not let go of what God said. Hold on to it no matter what. In this fight, sometimes you've got to bob and you've got to weave. Sometimes you've got to take the Joseph technique. You know what that was, don't you? He ran. And he got out of there and he didn't listen anymore. She had been seducing him. He's a young guy. He's been, you know, she's a good-looking girl. She's a young guy. And I'm thinking every day she dressed more and more seductively. Every day he's in there. And she's, Joseph, could you help me with my necklace? Joseph, can you fix my sandal? Joseph, can you take care of the faucet? Joseph. And then one day, nobody was there. She planned it out. Nobody was there. Joseph. He goes in that bedroom, and she wasn't dressed right. She grabbed hold of his coat and told him she wanted him. What did he do? He got out of that coat and he ran. He wasn't going to listen to it anymore. Sometimes you just got to get out of there. You can't afford to listen to what they're saying. I mean, you cannot overestimate your ability to overcome temptation. Here, Joseph, I mean, the, the proverb says you don't even go on the street where the adulteress lives. You got to know that the, you don't even go there. Sometimes you bob and weave. Sometimes you need to run. Sometimes you need to say, I am not listening to this anymore. I mean, if you're going to church and they're robbing you of your faith, quit listening to it. You can't. You, you, you still, we don't have time for that. Anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, you need, to, you need to shut it up and not listen to it. If they say you can't be healed or you can't be delivered, quit listening to it. If they say it repeatedly, get out. Run away from it. Get away. Even if, even if, even if Aunt Ethel and Uncle Herman are telling it to you, get out. Don't let them do it to you. I mean, well, yeah, but what about Sister So-and-so? She died, you know. Don't listen to it. What did God say? What does the Bible promise us? Don't let the devil just stay there and keep wailing on you. Just over and over and over. And you're listening to the lie. Listening to what he said. Get up. Get out of there. Put on the belt of truth and quit listening to the lie. Pull up that big old door-sized shield and let the darts be, be, be put out. I mean, you've got to stand up. Your shield doesn't do you any good if it's over there laying out by the tree in the front yard when you need to be fighting somewhere. You lose a fight by losing your faith. You lose a fight by letting go of the Word of God and believing what the devil is saying to you. I mean, you lose it by listening to lies. Don't overestimate your faith. Don't entertain words that oppose the Word of God. Don't let go. Let's pray. Father, tonight we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your promise. God, You have made us overcomers and we choose to believe what You said. Lord, I pray that Your Word 
impenetrate our hearts. And I pray that faith rise up in us because of your word. Lord, I thank you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.